Ma Coco? Aye. For Maui, it's a new beginning. With honor and deep respect, we're moving forward. We're ready to get people back to work. We all have to do our part, and we'll make this happen. Working together. We are ready to work. Ready to serve. All ready. 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 We are ready. For more information, visit makokomoe.com. We know of instruments being beautiful and sound, but have you ever thought about how it sounds if it were to come from perhaps the late 1800s, early 1900s? Would it still sound the same? We're going to talk a story about that today. Uh, joining me here is Halihaku Siberia Kaka uh, with the group Na Hoa. David Woodward from the group Valea. Aloha. And Sean Yakavone, who's the international in the international office for Kapilani Community College, but also has ukulele friends as his own business too, correct? Aloha, yes. Let's talk about the fact that these are, you said, territorial or even Hawaiian kingdom days. Tell me about how do you find these instruments? How do you get them? <laughs> I, I, I've been really fortunate to kind of be the, the, the young kid on the block in the collector's community, so to speak, of ukulele. I've always uh, taken an interest in the ukulele, uh, and, um, and, and be, I, I feel a strong sense of identity, I guess. My dad's from New Jersey. He's Italian. My mom is from Kauai, and she's Filipino. Oh. And so I'm this kind of mixture, which is very common for us here in Hawaii. But in my opinion, the ukulele, although it is identified as you know, Hawaii or Hawaiian instrument, when I look at the origins of the ukulele and the history of the ukulele, it really is a blend of cultures, right? You have the Portuguese who brought the early parent instruments to Hawaii that eventually created the ukulele. You have the Hawaiians who would take interest in playing the instrument and all the other cultures that kind of play in. And so that's where um, uh, you know, some of the history uh, of, of the ukulele and that, and that interest, my personal interest, comes from. So my sense of identity with the instrument is pretty strong, I think, for all of us here in Hawaii. Okay, and now this particular instrument, where did you get it from so and what, what, what time period? This particular instrument came out of a private collection and the gentleman, unfortunately, had, had passed away. And, um, uh, and so typically these instruments are not found on the, on the open market. They usually circulate amongst collectors. I happen to be uh, in the right time at the right place and um, been able to put a second mortgage on my home to <laughs> acquire oh. some of these. No, but to be able to acquire some of these instruments, they're extremely rare. Anything pre-1900s for ukuleles is extremely difficult to come by. This one was made by um, Jose do Espirito Santo. It was made around 1886. And he shows up in the Hawaiian directory uh, um, you know, of businesses uh, as, as being a, a maker in 1886. This is on the front end of, of, of those builds for him. And it's made of Hawaiian koa. Back inside, you can see how beautiful the koa is. And all of the marquetry work that's on this, the rosette, the details, a softwood top. It's more likely this is a, a fir wood as opposed to a spruce. You can see it has a fingerboard. Uh, and, and the frets that come down to the sound hole, all of these things are attributes to the, to the first generation of ukulele. Because what we think of old ukuleles, we think of, oh, the frets are in the neck, and it stops at the 12th fret, and it's all koa. That happens, but it happens at a much later time period, turn of the century, early 1900s, and on into the 30s and 40s. That's what we see. But this one predates that. Okay, I'd like you to hand that back to Hale Haku. Yeah. Sure. Hale, if you could, some commentary about what it feels like, because, I mean, we've all held ukulele, but you've got it in your hands now. So kind of describe what your thoughts are as you hold this. Um, the best way to describe this is um, 
my need to be very gentle with it. <laughs> um, but as as attributes to an instrument, it's actually very comfortable. It, it, it looks small. It's very small, and I'm a very large human. But <laughs> it's it's a yeah, it's a small soprano, and um, I love this the the whole all the way down the middle. The like you see this yeah, into nice. later builders, like way later builders. So like. Um, Casey Young, who built for Kahawanu Lake, has uh, elements yeah, of this kind of things in his fretboards. He also built for Mokeale and Israel and Okamuni. And so, like, so certain things of those things that I see when I look at this, you can see some lineage and some heritage when you look at the source of those things. I noticed the tuning keys are wooden. Usually they'd be plastic or something right. else, right? At, at some point, and I'm going to defer. defer to Sean, yeah. These, these are friction pigs, so it's a uh, get there, get it pa, and a pulakako. Pulakako, okay. Got it, got it, okay. Talk about this guitar for a couple of moments. Uh, first of all, talk about guitars in general. Um, this dates back, This the history goes back to the vaqueros. Yes. Yes, and the tunings as well. So there's all kinds of tunings for Hawaiian slack key tunings that, that also date back to that time period. What uh, Kavika's holding here is uh, a pre-20s, so right on the front end of, uh, of when Kamaka uh, established its business. Between 1916 and 1920, this instrument was made. It's a Kamaka guitar. Uh, it's all koa, Hawaiian koa. And, um, uh, and it, it has this, it's a small body, but it has this, this depth that, uh, of a sound that is, is quite remarkable. You would expect out of a much larger bodied instrument. And in standard tuning, which, which um, is E to E tuning, which uh, uh, David's playing, it sounds absolutely fantastic. But in s Hawaiian slack key tuning, it takes on an entirely different uh, depth and element to it because that was the sound uh, that, that, that the builders or Kamaka was building uh, towards at that time. And so um, when you look at the instrument as a whole, it's got some unique features. I think this neck is very unique, uh, but the guys love it. It's a oh, really deep-veed neck. Part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really? Okay, oh, give yeah. me some description about how you feel when you're holding that and your thoughts. So I noticed that this design, this deep V, is a very popular thing that was out in, around those, those times. Um, I do have a, a Martin that is dated around that time as well. And just the feel of it, the playability of it, I mean, my hand just like, it's perfectly in there so playing everything the whole fret is just effortless you know and the sound that comes out of it is just like he's butter like it's i don't know how else to describe it tell me um you get pieces like this do you find some where you have to rebuild some of them Yes, um, this Kamaka guitar actually, believe it or not, was in three pieces when I got it. Um, but um, we did have to restore it. I work with uh, a couple of uh, good friends uh, who do restoration work for historical instruments. Um, uh, one is actually here on island, Kylan Reese, and he's, he's also the president of the uh, Kealakai Center for uh, uh, Pacific Strings. And he's, um, 
he's doing some remarkable work into the, the history of Hawaiian music and the impact of Hawaiian music on the world. But he's also a luthier, and so he has, uh, I've worked with him to help restore, to get some of these pieces restored. But there are also um, some luthiers on the mainland that I have it, uh, work done, basically, with the thought that we can um, pay tribute to the builders who have uh, built these instruments. Of course, it's one thing to be in collections, and we're grateful for the collectors, because without them, we would never uh, have the opportunity to, to, to have these instruments now. But, um, but the spirit uh, of the person who built this was that it be played. And so I kind of, I kind of fall back on that and, and have uh, enough work done so that we can hear uh, what um, the original builder of each of these instruments had in mind and then be able to record them and archive them and be able to share them. So we do that. I, uh, you know, certainly we have the concert, but we also have, uh, I have a museum link on my page at Ukulele Friend that people can take a look at. And we have all these amazing musicians coming in and just uh, playing these historical instruments. It's all for educational purposes, that element. So there's no charge or anything. If you just want to go and look at all these amazing instruments being played by some of Hawaii's top musicians, you can, you can find them all there and on the YouTube page. Awesome. But on the business yeah. side as well, so do you buy these and do you put them, you know, rebuild them and then do you sell them or? On the, um, I have two focus areas. One is uh, a custom instruments and that would be fully handcrafted instruments by some of Hawaii's or the world's top ukulele luthiers. And, uh, and, and typically, um, uh, you know, that's one focus. The other one is museum-grade historical uh, ukuleles, which would be what we have here. Those historical ukuleles, I really don't sell them. What I do is, is the, uh, the new ukuleles, as I sell some of those, I take the proceeds of that, and as I come across these or I'm able to acquire them, I purchase uh, the old historical pieces, restore them, and those are not for sale. I keep those on the side, and we do all of these educational pro uh, projects with, with those pieces, basically. But I do have a business element where we do sell you know, a new instruments, at least, yeah. If somebody wants more information on the educational and wants to hear the work that you're doing, uh, how do they find you? Sure. They can, they can go to the webpage and just email me through the webpage. It's ukulelefriend.com um, is the website. Uh, info, I-N-F-O, at ukulelefriend.com. You can reach me there. Um, and uh, um, you know my phone number is all over the webpage. You can always call me. Some people just have you know, pieces in their family, and they just want to learn a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I don't charge for appraisals and so forth. If people just want some information and I happen to know, I'm happy to share. Thank you for being with us, uh, Sean. Appreciate the, the information. Let's give our musicians a little bit of uh, time here to uh, give us an idea of how these sound. How would you like to do this, guys? Would you like to play a song together, or how would you? I am in his support. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what? Let, let's have you play a little bit of it, just the instrument by itself. Let's start with the ukulele first. Guitar. You're right, it does sound like butter. Wow. <laughs> and just to know that these had that kind of a sound back in the day. 
and they weren't augmented by anything electronic. It was just the pure sound. But then you add the Leo in, and that's a different <laughs> sound in addition to that. Are you going to play us a song, guys? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. What song first, and any Mana'o behind the song? Oh, um, I thought it would be fitting to play something from the era, um, you know, the early 1900s, and um, especially written within the monarchy, uh, Ohana, right? And uh, a song entitled Beautiful Ilima. You don't hear that song very often. It was my grandfather's favorite song that he was singing. I'm going to move Sean's microphone a little bit in oh. that direction and Halamai. give a little bit added yeah. so that way we got that there. And yeah. gentlemen, okay. uh, what song is this? Beautiful Ilima. Yep. <laughs> for listening to Island Beat. You can listen to any of these shows anytime and anywhere you go. Head to hawaiinewsnow.com slash podcasts. Ma la mapono, aloha, ahui ho. Aloha.